Good morning. Good to be with you this morning. Um, as Ed mentioned, we're looking at these letters written to churches this morning. Paul wrote a couple of letters to the church in Corinth. So what I want to do is look at a few verses from that second letter written to the church in Corinth. Um, uh, and, and these verses are actually really important to me, and, and I hope they can be important to all of us. They say something more specific about Paul and who he is, and then it also tells us really quite a bit about who God is and what it means to be this fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ that we're on this journey of becoming. So, Second Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10. I'll read those. To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given to me, this is Paul writing, there was given to me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, and in hardships, and persecutions, and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So a couple of things that I want to look at this morning. I want to start by thinking a little bit about what it is that Paul says about himself here. He says, there was given to me... A thorn in my flesh. Now, he's not talking about a real thorn here, is he? Not a thorn like from a rose bush. He's talking about some kind of a, a physical or, or emotional infirmity that uh, was always humiliating him or, or, or frustrating him or spoiling his happiness. And you kind of get the sense here that maybe the, the Corinthians knew what he was talking about, that they knew what his thorn was. But but we don't know. He never really tells us what it is. Now, Bible scholars have a lot of theories about this. One is that he had epilepsy. Maybe he had epileptic seizures. That would qualify as a thorn in the flesh. Or maybe he had vision problems. That's another popular Theory like cataracts or glaucoma. Actually, if you go to the end of the book of or the letter to the Galatians, Paul writes this: "See what large letters I am writing, and with my own hand." Kind of as if his ability to write clearly and legibly was not normal. And then there's other theories about his thorn in the flesh, like malaria or arthritis or gout or migraine headaches or back problems or. A nagging wife. Actually, I just made that last one up. Or maybe the thorn wasn't physical. Maybe it was emotional, like depression or, or intense crippling guilt or some strong temptation that he was always being harassed by. We can guess all day about what Paul's thorn was, but really nobody knows for sure. And I think that's kind of a good thing. If we did know, then people who had that exact same kind of thorn, well, those people, they would be able to identify with Paul. But because we don't know, now really all of us, whatever our 
personal struggles are. We can all identify with it. Because the truth is, we've all got thorns. I don't know what Paul's was. I think I have an idea what mine is. And maybe you know what yours is. Is it something physical, like your stature, or, or your weight, or your complexion? Um, maybe it's a quirk in your personality that ke- keeps popping up and embarrassing you and frustrating you in front of your friends and your family. Uh, maybe it's a situation you find yourself in. Maybe you have to live or you have to work in some uh, painful circumstances. Maybe, maybe you fight a war daily against depression and, and nobody knows about it. Maybe somebody close to you is breaking your heart. Yeah, a thorn could be anything. That, the definition is that broad. But, but this much we know for sure about thorns. They don't go away. You've struggled. You've prayed. You've, you've pleaded. But it just won't go away. Paul never said what his thorn was. But he did say actually some things about it. Um, things that I can think can help us with our struggle. So, first of all, you'll notice that the Paul doesn't blame God. He refused to believe that it was God who gave him this infirmity. And I think that's something we need to be super clear about. So let's think about that for a minute. If you're a parent, you know what that first question is that your kids start asking you as they're growing up. The question is, why? Don't put your elbows on the table when you eat. Why? No, you can't keep your bug zoo underneath your bed. Why? No, we're not going to buy a trampoline. Why? I don't want you to see that movie. Why? So that's the universal childhood question. And what's the answer? So many of us parents give to that question. Our answer, our most common answer is, say it with me, because. Children like to know why. And you know what? We never really outgrow that desire to understand. That need to to have an explanation for the way everything is. Even when you're all grown up, you you still want to know why. I raised my kids as Christians and now they're growing up and they don't want to have anything to do with the church. Why? I've never had good health. It just seems like one problem after another. I'm just constantly in pain. Why? You know, we planned on our retirement together. We saved our money. We talked about that little condo and maybe doing some traveling. And then, and then he got sick and he died. And here I am. By myself, spending these last years alone. Why? Why was my wife unfaithful to me? Why, why is my brother gay? Why, why was my child born with such severe handicaps? Why? Because. Sometimes we don't know why. But, and this is important. If we can't always know the right answer to the why question, then at least we can stop from giving the wrong answer. 
And when people assign their thorns and their tragedies to the will of God, that's the wrong answer. Perhaps we can say that God permits suffering, but we can't say that he wills it. Suffering may come through God's hand, but it doesn't come from God's hand. Now look at it this way. When a small child is learning to walk, they will periodically lose their balance and fall, and sometimes they'll get hurt. A loving parent who doesn't want to see their child hurt could simply just carry them wherever they needed to go. That would spare the child all kinds of bumps and bruises. But the child would never, ever learn to walk on their own. So what does a parent do? They stand aside and they cringe as their toddler launches themselves across the living room on those chubby, unsteady legs. And sure enough, a few seconds later, bam, the coffee table has a new dent and that little head has a new bump. Now, did the parent permit that to occur? Yeah. But did they will that it should happen? Was it their intention? Was it their plan? Absolutely not. Did God permit that thorn to afflict you? Yes. But did he will that it should happen? Was it his intention, his plan, his desire for you? No. Your thorn is not the gift of God. The Bible says God is light and in him there is no darkness. Which means that God is not the author of evil. God does not initiate human suffering. You know, Paul understood that his thorn did not come from God. And we've got to get that straight too. And the good news in all of this is that our thorns, painful though they are, can be used by God for some some good purpose. And that's what Paul discovered. He says that his says this of his thorn. He said, it kept me from becoming conceited. You know, Paul had some incredible religious experiences. He had these visions of God, he, miracles. Uh, and I know that these experiences encouraged Paul in his ministry, but I think they probably also made it pretty tempting for him to think he was a little bit more superior than a lot of other people. You know, uh, ships with these high superstructures, um, they need a lot of ballast to keep from capsizing. And, and I think that's the redemptive role that Paul's thorn played. It was ballast. Whenever he began to brag and boast and feel pretty proud of himself, whenever he got to thinking that he was a super Christian and superior to everyone else, that thorn would kind of bring him back down to earth again. It kept me from becoming conceited, he said. And nobody wants a thorn. But I don't know, maybe it's good to know that if, if we've got one, that it can be used by God for some positive redemptive purpose. And I don't, don't get me wrong, I don't mean to make light of human suffering. And, and, and I'm not trying to sugarcoat the bitter pills of life. But, but just as sure as Paul's thorn in the flesh, flesh um, it is not something that came from God. God can still use it in a positive way. 
So God is not the author of human suffering, but he is able to use our suffering. And he's able to weave out of it something good. That's the promise. And one other thing. Although Paul realized that in a way his thorn was serving some redemptive purpose in his life, notice that he still prayed repeatedly to be delivered from it. Again and again he asked God. He begs God that the thorn be removed. And we need to notice that God doesn't take it away. I guess sometimes what we pray for runs counter to the purposes of God. Paul prayed that his thorn would be removed. Request denied. Moses, Moses prayed that he would be allowed to enter the promised land. Request denied. Jesus prayed in the garden of Gethsemane. Let this cup pass from me, he prayed. Request denied. Those those prayers were not granted. They couldn't be. But they were answered. And the answer was, my grace is sufficient for you. Which is God's way of saying, my grace is enough. I'll plug up the holes in your life with my presence. You know, sometimes I have this urge to, to check my Bible just to make sure that that promise is still there. That I didn't just imagine it. My grace is sufficient for you. I like that. There's nowhere that I can go that God won't be there with me. That there's nothing that'll happen to me that, that I can't handle with God's help. Whatever the problem, no matter how painful the thorn, my grace is sufficient for you. So Paul tells us something about himself here. He says he's plagued by this thorn in the flesh. We don't know what it is. I think I know what mine is. Maybe you know what yours is. But what we need to remember is that if God doesn't take our thorn away, he can use them. And he'll give us what we need to bear them. Because he says, my grace is sufficient for you. Okay, so that's part one. Now let's, let's look at the second part. There's another important truth here too. Um, I want to keep... I'm going to read here these last two verses again. God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. It's strange when you think about it that the two moments most essential to our salvation were actually moments of divine weakness. Christ's birth and Christ's death. The crib and the cross. Christ in the crib is, is weak, vulnerable, defenseless, a helpless baby. Christ on the cross is weak, vulnerable, defenseless. The, the scribes and Pharisees, they mocked Jesus. They said to him, you know, he saved others, but he can't even save himself. We are saved, not by God's strength, but by God's weakness. I read recently what somebody referred to as divine disarmament which actually made a lot of sense to me because if we know anything about God, it is that He loves us. And love demands disarmament. A loving encounter is one without weapons, 
When you love somebody, you set aside your power. You become weak, vulnerable, open. When somebody relates to you with coercive power, they don't love you. They want something from you. But they don't want you. Remember years ago when the UN weapons inspectors said that Saddam Hussein was hiding weapons? I think, I think a lot of us do that. People hide their weapons in all kinds of relationships. We hide old bitter memories. We hide slight suspicions about somebody's motives. We hide small doubts. These are weapons that we hold behind our backs in case we get attacked. Do you ever relate to anybody without hiding a weapon behind your back? Do you ever let yourself be totally defenseless? Can we really ever reveal ourselves to others in complete weakness? We see these pictures of, of soldiers on TV all the time. Soldiers are powerful people, well armed But not always. When a soldier sits down to eat, he lays down his weapons. He disarms. Eating is a time for peace and for rest and renewal. And and when a soldier lays down to sleep, he disarms and is vulnerable. So, actually, mealtime and bedtime, you think about it, are two times, especially in a marriage, where, where love can manifest itself in weakness. Two places where we can disarm and take off all the trappings of power. Especially bed. Because when we go to sleep, we disrobe. Clothes have a lot to do with power. Uh, Part of a policeman's uniform is a demonstration of power. Part of a gang member's power comes from the colors he wears. When... When Prince Charles finally someday becomes King Charles, the first thing he's going to do is is put on certain clothes, a, a gown and a crown. And I remember the story a friend of mine told me. One day he ran into this guy that he knew. Uh, they actually both worked out early in the morning at the Y. And this was in another town. And, and, and they always saw each other at the end of their workouts at the same time in the showers. So they happened to run into each other downtown and, and the other guy said to my friend, hey, aren't you? And, and my friend said, yeah, it's, it's me. And the other guy said, you know, at first I didn't recognize you with all your clothes on. And my friend said the look on his wife's face at that moment was, was priceless. But really, how would we recognize who was powerful if they didn't have their Clothes on. Mealtime and bedtime. Two times where we disarm and be vulnerable, especially bed. Because when a husband and a wife go to bed, they disrobe. And left in our PJs and our boxers, we are, are nothing but powerless and vulnerable. In marriage, power kills. But weakness creates, it creates self-awareness, it creates freedom and love, and it also creates an environment where children can flourish. You know, the greatest investment in the health of a child is not primarily the attention paid to that child. But instead, it's, it's the vulnerable, defenseless, weaponless love that parents have for each other. It, put it another way, the best thing that I can do for my children 
is to love their mother. Totally, completely. And with no weapons hid behind my back. Love demands disarmament. A loving encounter is an encounter without weapons, without power. When somebody comes to you from a position of power, that's not love. Maybe they're getting a little closer, but they've still got a long way to go. And I think we all do. We all have a long ways to go. Because Americans seem to love power. We despise weakness. In baseball, we have power hitters. Basketball, we have power forwards. Football, we have the power eye formation. Hockey, we've got the power play. We like to drive powerful cars and trucks. Our business executives eat power lunches. Our politicians wear power ties. We love power. We have yet to learn that power and love are almost polar opposites. My power is made perfect in weakness. Hmm. When in marriage we try to make ourselves powerful, it's then that love begins to erode. When a church tries to make itself powerful, it's it's as though we flick off the switch that connects us to our real source of power. And the same is true for individuals. When I am weak, said Paul, that's when I'm strong. The point of Paul's weakness was the place of God's power. Wherever Paul was was weak, that place became the center from which the power of God could radiate. The more powerful, the more self-sufficient we become, the greater the danger of sliding away from God. It's, It's need that brings us close to God. It's, it's weakness. It's our thorns. As a church or as an individual, you can't tap into God's power while you're using your own. When I'm weak, Paul says, that's when I'm strong. You know, no sooner are we out of diapers than we crawl into suits of armor. We, we seek power, Strong defenses, weapons. But it's, it's not much fun to live inside a suit of armor. It, it's dark in there. It's hard to breathe. It's, it's isolating. It's lonely. One of the reasons we all love to hold babies or, or pup, puppies or kittens, for that matter, is that, is that they don't threaten us. They allow us, if only for a moment, to to flip open our visor on our suit of armor and get some fresh air. They awaken in us the yearnings to be disarmed. Our isolation is killing us. We're tired of clanking around in our armor, always bumping masks with one another, always shaking our weapons menacingly. We long for that intimacy which can come only if we disarm and become weak and vulnerable and defenseless. My power is made perfect in weakness, says the Lord. The two times when God's saving power was the strongest were two moments of divine weakness, Christ's birth and his death, the crib and the cross. Christ on the cross 
was weak and defenseless. The soldiers stripped him. He was powerless. And Christ in the crib was weak, defenseless, and powerless as well. God does not take away our thorns. He can use them. And He will give us what we need to bear them. God says, my grace is sufficient for you. Why, we ask? Because God understands a bit about weakness. He didn't take the thorns away from His Son. His answer to us is, my power is made perfect in weakness. The God who loves us comes to us in weakness. And if we love one another, we'll do the same. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these words from the Apostle Paul. Thank you for the, for the demonstration from his own life of how to, to grow and to live, to become this fully devoted follower of you, um, where we can, um, where we can disarm, disrobe, where we can show our weaknesses and trust in your grace and your sufficiency. So God, where we are weak, where we are weak, may we find your strength. And pray in Jesus' name. Amen.